Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. I am Samantha, the DFC coordinator and your host for today's podcast. In this discussion, I am joined by Chris Wardlow, Stephanie Gildenvand, and Christine Christensen, three people who work on substance use and substance use prevention in three different ways. We wanted to have this discussion to highlight that substance use prevention happens everywhere, all around us, all the time. Whether it is intentional or ancillary, whether we think about our work as traditional substance use prevention or not, we all play a role in the community and our relationship with alcohol and other substances. I hope you enjoy listening and we look forward to your feedback and comments. Remember to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss an episode. This also makes it easier for others to find our show. Chris, Stephanie, and Christine are up next. Welcome to the show, everybody. How are you guys? Good. Good. Doing good. So I'm going to start asking each of you to introduce yourself a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, and let's start with Christine Christensen. Hi. So I am the um, student services program coordinator for the Nina School District. Um, means that I am helping all students and families kindergarten through high school on prevention and intervention related to alcohol and other drugs. Awesome, thank you for being here today. Chris Wardlow. Yes, good morning. Uh, I'm Chris Wardlow. I'm a prevention specialist. I'm employed by Catalpa Health and contracted to Outagamie County and help coordinate uh, the county's um, substance use prevention efforts and also have the honor and privilege of serving on the prevention committee of the state council on alcohol and other drugs. So thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Stephanie Gildenband. Hi, I'm Stephanie Gildenband and I work at Winnebago County Health Department as a community health strategist. Um, for the last three years of my job, I had primarily worked on substance use prevention work. Um, on a number of coalitions and initiatives. And now my work has transitioned a bit into social connectedness, which I also relate back to uh, prevention in a lot of matters. And I also help uh, support the overdose fatality review team and work in the area of uh, substance use recovery. Awesome. Thank you again, all of you for joining us. And today we're here to kind of have just a casual conversation, a coffee chat, if you will, although none of us are holding our coffee at the moment, about prevention. And in your introductions, you all mentioned that you all work on or have worked on substance use prevention in one way, shape, or form over the years or currently. Christine, you're up in Nina. Chris, you're in Outagamie County. Stephanie, you're in Winnebago County. So communities that neighbor each other and have a lot of similarities, but also their own sets of unique challenges and needs. So when I say substance use prevention, what comes to mind for you? What do you think of in terms of substance use prevention? I think for me, um, just because of my position working in the school district, I'm automatically thinking about prevention with kids. So um, program related to schools and individuals as well um, in the school setting. And what do those school programs look like? 
Um, I think there can be uh, a lot of different school programs. A couple that we uh, have here at Nina High School are uh, Sources of Strength, which really focuses on prevention through mental wellness. Uh, it's a peer-to-peer peer -peer program, uh, which has, has done really well. We also have um, our Student Activities Leadership Team, which is uh, students that are involved in sports or clubs and become mentors on their teams or or in their clubs for healthy activities, which is um, also a prevention strategy. There's also individual um, intervention, which comes to the, the student assistance program here at the high school that I oversee as well. So uh, it can be a number of things. Awesome. Stephanie, what does prevention meet, bring to mind for you? Because I did facilitate a drug-free communities grant, which three of the four of us, I believe, have done that. And I think that's where I had first got my start in understanding substance use prevention. Um, so that's a, a fairly specific end of prevention. So typically when you go out and talk to the community about preventing things, they think, what does it take to stop or reduce uh, an issue or a challenge from happening? And largely that is what we're talking about substance use prevention. What does it take to create a healthy community, a healthy person and healthy relationships so that we have um, healthy outcomes? So what does it take to reduce the amount of substance use that's happening and ideally um, prevent, uh, you know, substance use from happening, especially around kids. Like, so the agreement that kids probably shouldn't be using drugs um, and that it's healthier when they don't. But also as you go on into adulthood, what does it take for us to be healthy um, so that we're preventing uh, you know, bad outcomes from happening? So with substance use, like alcohol being in Wisconsin, that's an easy one to touch on. How do we live in a healthy way that uh, as an adult, our substance use is a healthy use if we're gonna use it all? But I'll just highlight when we're talking about kids, I think the agreed substance use prevention um, basic definition is what does it take to prevent kids from using drugs uh, in the first place. And you had mentioned in your introduction that you're now, you now have more of a focus on social connectedness, which you also relate back to playing a role in substance use prevention. Can you explain that connection a little bit? So uh, there's a couple areas where this idea around social connectedness and social support emerged for us. Um, one was as a coalition, as the Winnebago County Drug and Alcohol Coalition. We received a grant through Alliance for Wisconsin Youth to uh, just go and listen to our community. So we held focus groups or listening sessions with a variety of sectors. And what came back, it was surprising. We asked three questions. How is substance use impacting you? How is it impacting your community and what is your role in addressing it? And the, the big theme that came back was we are not supporting one another. I do not feel support and I feel like I'm alone in trying to address this issue around social uh, or around substance use. So we really emerged this area of social connectedness and then there's other two other surveys that we looked at and youth really came back as I'm not getting enough social and emotional support as did adults in our community. So we started digging into like, what does social support have a lot, have to do with uh, substance use prevention? And um, Christine, you had mentioned that you have sources of strength at your school. There's these models that are really starting to show that positive relationships and positive support 
can prevent substance use, but also when things get tough, either there's trauma or there's um, circumstances, or even when substance use does start to happen with youth, those relationships are so critical to help um, offer the support needed to prevent, you know, either worse use in the future or just to um, help families and people get through those tough times. So it's both important on the front end, but it's also important as you go through some of these challenging times. And Chris, what comes to mind when I say substance use prevention for you? I think um, Stephanie and Chris uh, hit the nail on the head. It's really, for me, it's working upstream, meaning um, interventions, services, policies, that um, reduce the likelihood that a young person will develop a substance use problem. So in, in kind of a clinical way, it's pre-diagnosis. Anything we can do to prevent the diagnosis of a substance use disorder in a young person. So to keep them from getting to that point. And, and what Stephanie and Chris talked about in terms of the examples of the programming um, that, that they're focused on. That's, that is a, a good, um, a, a good description, a good example, because in both, in all those cases, uh, they're building protective factors. Um, they're building those factors that help buffer against maybe the, some of the risk factors in young people's lives. Right. And, and when we talk about factors like risk and protective factors, we're talking about, things that have been studied. Um, we know that when young people feel connected, um, they are less likely to um, choose to use or feel the need to use a substance. So anything that we can do to help a young person feel connected to positive institutions. Um, and also uh, the, other, the other piece of this is creating a community um, that supports young people in, in making healthy choices. So sometimes uh, it's about policies to, uh, to create environments where access to substances uh, is reduced so that, uh, so that the environment or the community encourages young people to make the healthy choice by limiting their access to unhealthy choices. But it's also about a, a lot more. And, and um, we, we know uh, what increases the risk in young people. We know that trauma, we know that uh, socioeconomic status, we know that uh, gender and race um, are all issues that could uh, and do for a lot of young people um, create a risk. Uh, and that risk is usually uh, a, a cause of, of the, the social stressors that young people feel being in or a part of uh, those, those groups. So I think we all agree that at its core, prevention is reducing the amount of youth or the opportunity for youth or the potential for youth to engage in substance use. 
um, at its core, that's what it means. But you've all talked about it in a little bit of a different way that kind of span from the individual method of prevention and that being like with Christine in the school, having these programs with kids, helping them develop those healthy relationships and really understanding what those healthy relationships are through more of the broader scope of social connectedness and the community level um, importance of social connectedness to Chris, you mentioned policies that kind of shape access to different substances within a community. So kind of spanning the spectrum there from individual interventions to community level efforts. So my next question is, where does substance use prevention happen? Does it happen in one place or does it happen in a variety of places and spaces? It definitely happens everywhere. I would say. One of the things I was thinking about, Stephanie, when you were talking about work with the Drug-Free Communities Grant, um, in my work in Fond du Lac, I had the opportunity to work with a group of youth who took a look at alcohol advertising in the community. Um, you also mentioned the uniqueness of being in Wisconsin. And um, it, I think alcohol and drug use, more so alcohol, becomes part of the wallpaper um, so even in our neighborhoods, it just becomes part of what is for the kids who are growing up there. So this group of youth went and looked at gas stations, grocery stores, and other, um, you know, places in the, in the community that were advertising for alcohol and ended up doing a study about the percentage of advertising that included alcohol. And it was uh, alarming, not only to those kids, but even to the city council who we ended up taking it to. Um, so it was a really good eye-opening experience for uh, taking a look at, at how our community can do more in prevention just by reducing the number of alcohol advertisements that kids are seeing as they're walking around town. So tiny little efforts like that can make a huge difference in the way kids are growing up in the state of Wisconsin. And that can be a huge step towards prevention. Yeah, I think, I, I think it all fits together. So that example of what Chris just shared about a community um, addressing the culture around alcohol through policies, you know, regulating access and marketing to the programs in schools that address the risk and protective factors in students um, in, in those programs. It, it's all important right? Because what we know is we can create policies that are effective in reducing access. Um, but if a young person um, is living with other risk factors that um, um, increase the, the um, sort of the desire to use or to self-medicate, um, then programs are going to be limited, right? Or if we do these school programs that are highly effective, but yet the community culture, the community environment condones these risk-taking behaviors in young people, it's going to jeopardize the effect. So it's all part of the same picture. Prevention happens within the individual, within the family, within peer groups, school, community, churches, all the way out. Um, it, 
there's there's an important role with each of those in each of those social domains for prevention. So I think the piece that I would want to add to this and and my wish for our community is that they would see their work as prevention, that you don't have to stop what you're doing in your tracks and shift over to substance use prevention to prevent substance use um, in kids and in our in our communities. And what I mean by that is uh, whether you're the YMCA or a faith community or, or whatever, the work that you're doing um, in supporting kids and families in our community is substance use prevention. Uh, strong neighborhoods is substance use prevention. Having parks, sidewalks. Um, so Oshkosh had just passed um, this really great policy of you show your uh, photo ID for, or you show your school ID or even just say that you're with a school and you can get on a bus and you don't have to pay for the bus ride. So for kids to be able to get to the library, imagine we're post COVID um, or to get to a job after school or to be able to stay after school to uh, be part of sports or some kind of after school activity. Those are all, that's all substance use prevention. So when we're looking at um, our work around how do we create healthy communities, the environment we have, the policies, but also how we interact with each other face to face is all part of that. And um, I think that's what we heard when we listened to people in the uh, community conversations is everyone felt siloed. And so I wish that there could be the shared understanding of our work together is substance use prevention. And sure, there needs to be some very specific things like reducing alcohol advertisements and reducing access, but there's so much our community already does and, and can continue to improve that really does help with the substance use prevention. Yeah, I think I, I would agree totally with that. And I think the common thread in, in what Chris and Stephanie are talking about in, in all of these efforts is connection building kind of going back to Stephan the the initiative in Winnebago County about um, enhancing people's sense of connectedness all these efforts right help connect people or help people feel connected um, increasing access um, by allowing a young person to ride public transit with just their ID connects them and it, it makes it possible for them to connect to positive institutions like their like the YMCA or the faith community or the Boys and Girls Brigade uh, sidewalks being able to navigate through the community in a safe way allows people to get out and about and connect with one another in a in a true community neighborhood sense so uh, I really, I really admire the work that that the, the Winnebago County is doing around connection, and it's really the work that Chris and in in Nina, but in a lot of school districts, are doing with sources of strength. It's building connection. It's the most powerful protective factor that we know of in prevention, and I would say maybe public health in general. I guess we call it our motto here at Nina High School: is every rocket deserves a champion but that talks a lot about those connections and that's our way of saying every student that walks through our doors deserves to have a positive connection with an adult in this building you know that's our focus on getting those kids connected so what you're, when you're talking about that connectedness that's huge for a student who may not have those positive adult relationships at home 
they when they walk through our doors or virtually on Zoom, they have a, a positive connection with someone. So in doing so individually with our students, we're creating a culture of connectedness in our schools too, uh, which hopefully again is one more step towards prevention. I think I think when you um, this is just my thought, but when you think about the motivations that young people have to use substances, I think you can tie each one back to connections, whether it's the lack of meaningful connections that enhance that motivation, or it's having those meaningful connections that reduces to the need to use as a way to fit in or to use as a way to feel better about who I am. Um, so I, I really, it really, I, I think it hits it on the head, that whole central core theme of, of human connection and how critically important that is. Just to continue along this connectedness piece of things, like the other piece that we had found as we listened to teens in focus groups last year was also the need for the belongingness. So the connections and, and strong relationships, but also the ability to fully be authentically themselves and accepted as themselves. Um, and I think that's an innate thing that we have as humans. And so that kind of gets into some of the, like how do we help build not just relationships, but also that sense of belonging and being valued um, as, as who we are. And, and I'm not sure that we can do that in silos either and just focus on like, okay, now we're gonna figure out how older adults can feel valued and have a sense of belonging or people of color only, and now we're only kids. I think we're talking about like a community condition here around uh, being valued and having that sense of belonging. And so what does it take to foster that kind of cultural change so that we can have this um, interconnected, interwoven sense of connectedness, like really make that connectedness go deep instead of just individual connections across um, an individual's life. I, I hear you say, even today, and I remember this from, you know, growing up and going through school myself is, well, I feel like I'm the only person in the whole school who is not drinking or not smoking, or if I don't do it, I don't really have any friends. So I do it just so that I can fit in and feel that sense of belonging, like you were talking about, Stephanie. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that, Christine? Do you is do you see any of that in the high school setting? Uh, absolutely. So students are often saying that very thing to me is, if you only knew, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the students here are using substances, and we know that's not true, but that's definitely a perception. And for these kids, perception's their reality. So sometimes they're making, you know, their uh, decisions based on their reality. So part of what we, we uh, try to do is the social norming piece and to help students understand that the majority of our students are not using substances. That's part of the directive of our, our SALT group, which is the Student Activities Leadership Team, is to kind of shed some light on all of these students in our schools that are, are choosing not to use and, and how they're making those decisions. So what is it that's going on in their lives that makes it easy for them to make this decision? Is it the relationships that they have? Is it their connectedness to a team or a club? Is it their sense of belonging to the school? You know, it, it, is it the championship that the staff is giving them? Um, 
So yeah, that's, I think that's huge. Um, you know, and you could widen that to the community as well. And, you know, in Wisconsin, I think we often hear, well, every, every kid drinks or messes around with that a little bit in Wisconsin. That's just the way it is. And really, if you look nationally at uh, some of our marijuana laws, that's also given the same impression elsewhere. So that concept can be broadened, I think, outside of schools as well to, to a lot of different situations that if, if we can make a difference in that perception or in that the way the community is perceived, you know, we can make a difference there too. And Stephanie, I think you said it best when I had first met you is that alcohol is the only substance you have to justify why you're not using, right? Like nobody walks into their family Christmas party and has to justify why they're not smoking marijuana or doing other drugs. But if you decline a drink offer, and especially if you're a woman, it's all, oh, what are you pregnant? Or like, you know, you have to explain yourself. So I can't help but wonder to your point, Christine, and I mean, all of you have kind of touched on the culture of Wisconsin. So many of the, these initiatives are funded by grants. And a lot of the metrics that you have to report for the grant or show for the grant focus on outcomes. And a lot of times that means how many students report drinking in the past 30 days, report binge drinking in the past 30 days, report using marijuana. And it's so focused on who's using that we're not often talking about or celebrating those who are choosing not to or those lifetime non-users. Do you think that because of the way these, these initiatives or these grants are shaped and because our focus a lot of times is on reducing the use and we're not talking about the, those who are choosing not to, we are part of that social norming that needs to be adjusted. That's interesting. And, and, you know, one thing though, that I think um, in, in Steph and Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong and Sam, our, our, when you look at our high school numbers, our high school numbers tend to look pretty decent. I mean, they're not great. And of course, it, we got a lot more work to do, but our trend lines tend to be level or declining. So when you look at, for example, underage drinking today versus um, 10 to 20 years ago, it, it, the rate of underage drinking has declined significantly. Um, so why is that? Well, you know, of course, as prevention people, we like to take all the credit in the world for that, but we know that it's a lot bigger issue than just us. But uh, I think that, you know, kind of, I think it goes back to your original question, Sam, about, um, kids being more accepting and that goes two ways, right? So uh, I can be more accepting about what you're doing, knowing that you can be more accepting about my choices. So I think, I think kids, you know, and then we, we heard the example uh, it, that Steph talked about in terms of, you know, uh, if you're at a holiday party with a group of adults and you're not drinking, you have to explain why you're not drinking. That's adults, right? That's adult behavior. With young people, I think part of it is they're more accepting, meaning if I choose not to drink, I choose not to drink. And people are going to be 
okay with it. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I think, I wonder sometimes if peer pressure is more powerful for us as adults than it is for young people, because they are uh, more accepting of each other. And I think that's a product of the culture that schools are creating in their buildings of, of uh, accepting one another um, and supporting one another. So that's just a thought. I, I think that's interesting, Chris, because I was thinking earlier about when we were talking about community events and how many of our community events involve alcohol, um, more so than I think don't involve alcohol. And that I, I was thinking about a time when I had a birthday party for one of my children, you know, eons ago when they were little and didn't have alcohol and some people wondered why um, <laughs> and those kinds of things. And then so if you think about those little instances and then when your mind goes back to that, look around to the children that are watching those events or instances happen and what kind of role modeling are we providing to our kids? So if we're, you know, say we have a, uh, we're not gonna have a Christmas party at my house this year, but if we were, um, you know, kids are gonna be there. So how are we modeling if we're questioning who's drinking, who's not drinking, if we're, uh, you know, if most, the majority of the, the adults in the room are drinking alcohol versus not, if people are drinking too much alcohol, you know, what kind of role modeling at home in the schools and in the community are we providing our kids? And that's huge too. I think another piece with the uh, social norming and how we communicate what we know about our community comes back to the responsibility of the people doing the work. So how, how do we talk about this? Are we talking about who is using versus who isn't using? Are we learning from that information? So maybe some of the conversation looks like what we know about people that choose not to use as youth, these are this is what we see in their life. Like they have, you know, they live in invested communities. They have, you know, the social support. They there's things that we can learn about that. And then you can build on that. And that's like even the premise of sources of strength. It's not even looking at a person's deficiency and what the deficiency is around there or a community's deficiency is trying to build up some of those assets. And I'll just add to the piece on um, a sense of things are getting better. Like we, we do accept more now than we did in the past. I think that is true in some cases, but we also know that there are groups of people that are not being accepted um, or, or have a sense of belonging. And those are the same groups of people that seem to experience a lot more trauma. So LGBTQ students, students of color, um, there's uh, indigenous people, there's just, there's a lot there. So I, I don't want to overlook uh, the challenges that we have as a community, as we also are trying to improve because we tend to improve where improvements keep going. So those that keep getting better, keep getting better. And then we kind of have, uh, well, we're, our numbers are going up overall. So we're, we're improving overall when there's still the segment of our community that has experienced so much trauma and still does. And they need uh, other resources, additional resources, additional support, but also they need our community wide support. Um, so it's not just an individual, like this person needs help. We also just need to learn how to be better as, as a community. So I just, I wanted to kind of bring that whole thing back around of, yes, our numbers are getting better. Yes, we're 
getting better at being better, but there are areas that we do need to um, critically address. You guys have all talked about this in kind of like a higher level community thing, risk factors, protective factors, and it's, it's not just one thing. Prevention isn't just one thing or one activity that happens in school or at home or at a specific place. It's kind of all around us. So I guess my next question is, what do you see as the biggest opportunity with substance use prevention or a community's approach to substance use prevention? I I think um, Stephanie hit on it really well. And I think um, given all that we have um, experienced in the past um, several months, a lot of the social upheaval has increased the dialogue around equity, around acceptance, around inclusivity, and is shed, and, and like like Stephanie has said, has put a spotlight on the 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 huge gaps, the the uh, the the work that needs to be done um, in those areas. So I think. Uh, kind of piggybacking on what Stephanie said, I think we're, uh, that's to me where there's opportunity um, in that we um, keep building on these dialogues and move from dialogue to systemic change. Um, and, uh, and we're being asked this in prevention, uh, you know, are we seeing that impact in our disparate groups. There are groups that are uh, on the margins um, because they've been socially uh, isolated. Are we, are they, are they um, seeing an improvement in their health as a result of the work we're doing? So I think that that's an opportunity to continue to build on the momentum that's there and, and to, to not let that wane. You know, uh, Sam, you mentioned the pandemic and I know we weren't gonna go there, but I immediately was thinking about um, this as an opportunity to uh, increase our conversations about positive connections because we've, we've just lost those with, um, with the pandemic. We've lost our connection. I think that's one of the things that um, I've had the most conversations about not not only about youth losing the connection uh, as virtual learners, but uh, as adults in the school, in our families, in our communities, losing connections with each other because of the pandemic. And that in turn has caused those conversations about how important those connections are. Um, and maybe uh, through all of this, uh, that will be an opportunity for us to go back uh, hopefully when the light at the end of the tunnel has arrived and start building those connections again and and starting small but you know like you said Stephanie those community connections are huge so maybe this will provide us that opportunity. Yeah I think it's getting back to connections and belongingness so those two pieces I would also add that when there's trauma, that the resources are swiftly available to individual to kids and to families. So I think um, we know that trauma and and things like the adverse childhood experiences 
have a significant impact on who uses substances and how early they use them. So we need to do what we can to understand who's impacted and improve the system of care so that those that get support are, are not just connected to support, but quickly connected to support. And I, I, I see progress in our community on this. So, so I think that's a big piece, but it has to go hand in hand with the um, broad support we offer as a, as a community and a sense of being valued and, and that you belong. I'm gonna throw kind of a wild card out there just to see how it goes. So what would your response, I mean, you guys are all talking about this in a very proactive, holistic way, in a big picture way. What would your response be to those who feel like we need to arrest our way out of this problem, right? So we've talked about, you know, Chris, you've talked about those populations that are kind of on the margins because they've been pushed out to the margins by society. We've talked about community risk factors, you know, low income, unstable housing, socioeconomic status playing a role in there. We've talked about kids who benefit from building social connections at school because they don't have those healthy connections at home. Um, what would your response be to those who feel like if we just increased our ability or, or action on, you know, arresting people or taking a stronger stance on, on drugs, on possession, on use within a community that that would fix it all. Like for those who think we've been too soft. And this is kind of on the heels of, we've been getting a lot of questions and a lot of discussion lately about what Oregon is doing, where they're decriminalizing certain substances and people who are caught with, I think, cocaine and methamphetamine on them or having used them, they are offered an AODA assessment in lieu of fines or jail time. So that's kind of yeah. the, the background on that question. I think what's, that's a good question. I think what's really interesting, and, and I, I'm pretty sure Steph can speak to this and probably Chris, um, the, for me, in my experience, the most vocal opposition to that model has been law enforcement. So in other words, I've heard it over and over from law enforcement that we are never going to arrest our way out of this problem. Sure, there's a need. And there's a there's certainly a, a, a need of an important role for law enforcement. But, um, you know, I can't tell you the number of, of police chiefs or sheriffs that have said, you know, we are not going to arrest our way out of this problem. We have got to sure we have got to do what we can uh, to minimize the supply. But we also need to figure out how to reduce the demand and that is how to, you know, to um, bring to scale the work that we do in prevention, but also treatment and recovery. That's how we're going to reduce this problem ultimately. Do you agree, Steph? Yeah, I would echo that large, like we, through all our coalition work and even our overdose fatality review, we're looking at a systems change here on Yes, how do we reduce the access? Like one thing I would love to do with uh, 
if there was a law enforcement officer or a person out there, is just walk them through a community of what a kid sees. Um, so in my neighborhood, literally where I live, there was a sign up at a local gas station that says, back to school, get your jewel. So uh, number one, that's illegal. You can't be selling to kids, right? So um, I would just love for someone to walk through a community, walk through a target um, with the eyes of a, a a person that's not normalized to the way Wisconsin is with a lot of our policies um, and the, just the way we operate, especially around alcohol. Um, but I think the big piece would be to just sit down with a law enforcement officer for them to see what they ultimately want. And almost all of them are shifting into how do we connect people to help and care? Like we go into these households and sometimes it's not even a call related to substance use, but there it is, there's substance use happening. And their immediate response is, I wanna be able to do more. Why is this happening all over our communities? And we're seeing more and more strategies where that is happening. Menasha has a really great program called MCAP where they connect people that have substance use issues to recovery coaches. And we're, we're just seeing this expansion and an understanding of if substance use is a problem in our community, maybe recovery is part of that prevention strategy. Maybe families that are able to uh, sustain recovery and have support to be in recovery, maybe that's prevention for the kids in the household, right? So I think we're starting to see where it's not a linear spectrum, but it's a circle. And if we can find a way to be healthier as a community and see that recovery is a part of that instead of shaming people for use, that that is the support we need to help this next um, generation, but also just help us as a community understand substance use and what needs, what support needs to be there. I agree. And I'm going to do a shameless plug for the fixed project, the humans of Oshkosh fixed project on this one. Um, and I'll link the website in the show notes and there's books out there as well. So let us know if you are in need of a book, but it's, it's a special report that Grace Lim at UW Oshkosh and students of Oshkosh put together. And it's a really great website. The stories to read through the book is put together really nicely. And it showcases so many stories, individuals who have struggled with substance use, who have you know, worked and walked that road to recovery and are living a life in recovery, how it's impacted them, police officers, teachers, other professionals in the community, how their life, even if they haven't struggled with, with a substance use disorder, how their life has been impacted by substance use in the community. And then even there's, there's a bit from the students, the journalism students who were interviewing these individuals, how this project and learning about all of this from a different perspective has impacted and changed their perspective on the whole issue. So definitely worth a read. And I think you're right, Stephanie. I think there is a big desire to help out there from all avenues of the community, whether it be law enforcement, faith communities, healthcare. Um, there is a big desire to help, but there's that those silos and that knowledge gap of, I don't know how to do that, which is where I think the importance of coalitions, the importance of, of school programs, the importance of like OFR groups where you're really bringing all of these different sectors and all of these individuals together to look at something as a whole picture. And 
in, in my old setting in the hospital and healthcare world, it was like break out of your four walls, right? So look beyond your four walls and your piece of the puzzle to really see how what you're doing with an individual or a group of individuals impacts what other people are doing with them and how that looks as a continuum, as a whole person, as a whole spectrum of, of care or that continuum of, can I prevent that use from happening all the way through recovery is achieved and how do we take the lessons learned from that and apply it to help build up prevention for the future? Absolutely. And I think a lot of it too, um, in that process comes down to just, and this is where what I'm trying to work on and where I'm um, trying to challenge myself more on is the language that we use. How do we communicate all this? Because um, our language is very powerful, right? Um, and we, we we're learning more and more how our language inadvertently um, can um, sustain stigma around these issues or enhance stigma or be a barrier for someone to reach out and talk about their lives and to seek help. So uh, I think that's another stigma is another big piece to the work that I think a lot of us are doing, um, you know, as part of prevention um, so that uh, this isn't a, this doesn't become a, a, a moral issue. It's a health issue. Um, whether it's mental health, physical health, we're dealing with a health issue and the goal along the continuum, whether it's prevention or, um, sustained recovery is to help people achieve uh, a, a higher degree of wellness for themselves and their families. Right. That's our goal. That's our ultimate big picture goal. Um, and, and so part of that is uh, speaking in a way that um, promotes that and celebrates that and doesn't shame anybody. Even in the prevention world, I think sometimes we are guilty of shaming just by how we frame issues, right? Um, so I like what you said, Sam, and I think part of it is, you know, um, how do we how do we talk about this in a way that's uh, that promotes health and wellness? You know, and I think Stephanie, you mentioned earlier um, when we we're talking about, like for instance, Chris, when you said, you know, our numbers, our trends are going down for alcohol use. Um, you know, how can we change that to our trends are going up for non-use? Right. Right. Exactly. So, and that's the conversation we could have. And I think um, one of the things I like about natural high, I know it's been around for a really long time, but it talks about the passion, somebody's passion for something that makes them feel good. Um, you know, I think about all the things that I used to do as a kid that made me, that gave me that adrenaline rush that I think some of these kids are seeking. So it was, for me, it was sports that so later it was snowmobiling. Um, you know, even just being at my cabin, for instance, provides me this really good sense of peace. So all of those feelings, I think that some of our youth are searching for, how do we, how do we turn our conversations into, this is what you can do. This is what these youth are doing. This is how we can provide you with that natural high. And, it, you know, maybe we don't even use the words natural high, because then it's referencing the drugs again, but I just love changing that conversation back to the positive and focusing on the other 
population who's doing it right or who's you know just been lucky enough to grow up in an environment where they can make those good decisions. Isn't that interesting? Again, how language has been hijacked. So we we're a little cautious about using that word high in a positive way. There used to be that initiative, uh, happy hour, promoting family time. And, and early on in that initiative, people were like, why are you using the term happy hour? Well, you know, again, that's a term that's been hijacked. Um, so uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I love the idea of helping people feel fulfilled. And like, that's ultimately either what, well, some kids just use drugs for curiosity, but a lot of, especially early use, it, it's connected back to that trauma. And so either they're trying to have a sense of feeling or they're trying to numb those feelings. And in order to help someone feel, feel fulfilled, you have to know them. You have to know what they care about, what their passions are. So it kind of comes back to this piece around that social support and the social connectedness. And then what does it take for someone to have the space to carry out on their passions and, and when you make that connection? So it really comes down to that sense of feeling valued, being valued, contributing back to your community, but also being seen. And I think it's just a really huge area of opportunity for us to grow in together as a community. And we're just starting to better understand how we all have a role in supporting uh, uh, substance use prevention, but prevention of a lot of different things really we're talking about like we all have a role in creating health in a community. So um, it's exciting. It gives me hope and, and a whole sense of opportunity when you look at it from that perspective, instead of how our grant programs want us to report on like outcomes, which, you know, that can happen internally. We can have the true conversation we need to have and, and get back to some of the narrative that we share to our community on like, look, this is building our community. Look, this is creating our healthier community this is what we're seeing in kids because of it. And I think that's just such a affirming and positive way for us to um, work on substance use prevention. We have a colleague that we work with, um, um, Cindy Zarnick-Niemeyer, who also works for Catalpa Health and she's a contract to the Appleton Area School District. But uh, I've known her for over 20 years. And in that 20 years, uh, she says over and over in presentations that she gives um, that we want kids to rely on people, not chemicals, um, to feel good and to feel better. And, and so this is a concept that's been around for a long time. It's just now we're finally, you know, um, we're, we're finally really making that a priority um, and I think that's that's too a, a response to, um, you know, we understand the limitations of of uh, environmental prevention, policy work, and things like that. Those are critical. That's critical to the big picture uh, in prevention. Um, but those are going to be limited unless we uh, reduce the demand for substances. You know, if you want to look at it through a pure economic model, as long as the demand's there, the supply will be there some way, shape or form. So we're we're all in the work really of of um, I shouldn't say completely because a percentage of what we do is to try to try to reduce supply through um, uh, common sense policy. 
but I think the bulk of our work too is um, uh, trying to reduce the demand. And, and that's, what's, that's what Chris is doing and other schools are doing. That's what uh, Steph is doing in Winnebago County with the connectedness initiative. Um, so it, it's, it's, it, I think it's an exciting time to be in this work really. And I've been in the work for a long time and I'm maybe more excited now than I was 20 years ago, over 20 years ago when I didn't really know what prevention was. We were, uh, I, I apologize for the term, but we were um, termed the fun Nazis. You know, we were about taking the fun out of life. That's how people saw, that's how people saw prevention. I apologize for using that term, but yeah. Uh, it's not it's it's evolved we've come a long way from the frying pan the this is your <laughs> yes we sure have is there anything else that you guys want to share about what prevention is or what it means to you i think it's been referenced i think stephanie brought up we've all brought up to some degree or another but we all have a role we all have a role in this and it that role is in helping to build community, helping to foster inclusiveness, helping to, to celebrate people's choices when those choices go against the, the norm, you know, so it's living it in our daily lives. But I think also it's, it's bringing the message to our groups that we're members of, whether it's church, the Rotary, the co-op, whatever it's, you know, bringing this this attitude and norm and value to those conversations as well. I just, I, um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be involved in these conversations. I do feel sometimes like I'm in a silo just working in the school, though I know uh, prevention is much wider than that. I just think, um, you know, I've always had a passion, I've always worked with youth. I just, I just think kids are cool people. And um, any chance I get to be able to improve their lives by working with a greater community is um, an awesome opportunity. So these conversations really um, are awesome and I hope they continue. Yeah, thank you all for agreeing to be a part of this. I'm really excited for the coalition to be bringing the podcast to the community and to have more of these conversations and hopefully help start making those connections and, and helping people you know, that have heard this other, someone else's name for maybe years, but haven't had the opportunity to connect or meet with them. Um, so yeah, thank you all for being, agreeing to be a part of this. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Steph and Chris and Sam. Thank you for the opportunity.